0: The following program is a presentation of Grace Communion International and Grace Communion Seminary and is made possible by generous donations from viewers like you. On this episode of You're Included, theologian Dr. Daniel Thamel explores how Christianity is primarily about relying on Christ's completed work for us. Our host is Dr. J. Michael Fazel. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be with you again. Why is it that most Christians seem to think that Christianity is primarily about right behavior?:
1: There are probably a number of reasons for it. I think one of them is, frankly, that a lot of the preaching that they're exposed to assumes that. Um, a lot of preaching is, frankly, works religion. It's all about advice. on on how to be a better parent, how to be a better father, how to uh, uh, be a more effective Christian, um, how to pray better. And all these how-to sermons uh, leave one to to think that the Christian life is mostly about performance. Now, of course, God does care about the life we live, and uh, he does care about the kind of parenting that we engage in and, and all of these things. But when we put the focus on the how, we make it look like Christianity is a matter of, of, uh, of performance. And as a matter of fact, we should be focusing on the who. We should be focusing on who is Christ? What, what has he done for us? How has he included us in his life? And then see that as a basis for the Christian life. I think another reason uh, that, uh, pr- that most Christians are focusing on behavior is that we live in a performance-based society. Uh, raises are based on performance. Uh, uh, relationships are based on performance. And so we're, we're used to that. It's in the air we breathe, it's in the water we drink. And so it's very natural for us to interpret the ways of God based on the ways of humanity.
0: So there's a difference between uh, salvation, on the one hand, which is by grace, and behavior, while it's important, is not what our salvation is based on.
1: Right. Uh, The the life that we live is a response to grace. It's not a condition of grace. It's not as if, if I live well enough, then God will be nice to me, then he'll be good to me, then great things will happen to me. But rather, because God in Christ has done it all and continues uh, to present me acceptable to the Father through, uh, through what he has done for me. Uh, that's the basis for my Christian life, uh, the behavior of the Christian life, uh, the obedience that we're called to engage in in the Christian life, uh, is is uh, is is can only be carried out through God's grace, only through the presence of Christ in my life, can I live the life God calls me to live, and so it's it's appropriate to to preach on on living the Christian life, so long as we're Christ-centered. In fact, it was. Paul Shear, the the great Lutheran preacher, who a generation ago told a divinity students at Yale, he said, he said, when you're preaching wherever you are in your text, make across country as fast as ever you can to Christ. I think we need more Christ-centered preaching. If Christ really is the Alpha and Omega, if He really is the basis for our life in God, then why do we try to base it anywhere else in our preaching? If we uh, uh, offer all kinds of advice on how to live, and, and fail to ground it in Christ. We're simply preaching works religion.
0: Well, what do we mean then by grounding it in Christ? In other words, what what most Christians tend to get from the from the kind of preaching you're talking about is Christ is the role model. I need to measure up to the way Christ is. So that is centered in Christ. From that perspective, uh, how do we live like Christ did in order? to be accepted yeah. by God
1: yeah, and that and that 's a and that's that 's where the the model is centered in Christ, but not not really the way the, the way of living, the seeker of living the Christian life, um, then it becomes he did his part, I do my part right yeah. um, in, in in the Bible, Christ is not simply an example, he is an example, he has left an example an example that we should follow in his steps, uh, Peter writes, but Christ is also the basis for our life. He's also uh, the one through whom I can live the Christian life. Uh, Christ is described as the author and the finisher of our faith. Um, he's the one who who begins our Christian life and he's the one who completes it. And uh, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me, and the life that I go on living, In the flesh, in my humanity, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So Christ is a living reality in my life. It's not like he's standing afar off with his arms crossed, waiting to see if we're good enough for the next goody to fall from heaven. But he's rather my constant companion, the source of my life, the source of of all the love that I need, the source of the faith I need, the, 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 the kindness that I need, the faithfulness I need, the persistence I need.
0: We tend to think that if uh, if I am being faithful and I am being patient, then Christ is living in me, but if i 'm not being uh, that way if i 'm not measuring up to the standards of god, well then christ isn 't living in me mm-hmm. so uh, unless i 'm measuring up mm-hmm. christ isn 't in me, and I better measure up better in order for Christ to be living in me mm-hmm. uh, how uh, what 's what 's wrong with that well i <laughs> i, I, I...
1: I would say that uh, the Christian life is not an on again, off again kind of thing, like that. Uh, it's it's interesting that the Bible describes the Christian life as entering into eternal life. Uh, that that uh, that he who believes in him will, will not perish, but have eternal life. And we pass from death into life when we come to Christ. And eternal life is by definition one that is unbroken, that goes on forever. God says there's nothing that can cause you to fall out of my wagon you 're mine i I 'm committed to you, and the life i 've given you is for keeps you 're always going to be my boy you're always going to be my daughter and and uh and nothing can change that the The kind of life we live is not an anxious life it's not a nervous life it's not a fearful life it It, it should be uh, a joyful life because God in Christ has done it all, and, and he's going to get me safely there. And whether whether I'm up or I'm down, uh, God will continue to love me. It's very interesting that marriage is is described in, in uh, uh, English, uh, in the traditional English wedding ceremony, as being a covenant. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's a covenant. See, a contract would be If you perform well enough, then I'll perform well enough. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And many people, frankly, even though they uh, go through the marriage ceremony, uh, uh, which promises undying love, in fact, see it as a contract. And, And then when the other person pleases them less than someone else, when the other person lets them down, or maybe they get sick, or they become disabled, they say, well, I just didn't love them anymore. I needed to find someone else to love. But we all know that, that in the marriage ceremony, we're, say, we're promising to, to love the person for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us to part. It's an unconditional promise. Now, How can we make that kind of an unconditional promise to a, a fallible person, a weak person, a frail person? How can we, as re- weak, frail persons, make that kind of promise? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians five when he says, "Love one another as Christ loved the church who uh, who loved her and gave himself for her, and so it's the sacrificial love of Christ that is the basis for our life together in marriage, and it's through Christ that I can forgive when my spouse s- says something hurtful or does something uh, that's that's uh, not right. Uh, I can be forgiving." because God in Christ is forgiving through me. And, and, but this model of a marriage is the same way that God treats us in all of life. He treats us unconditionally. He loves us for richer, for poor, in sickness and, and in health. Uh, it's, it's very interesting that everybody probably knows the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. and It says, Love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things endures all things, love never ends. And we, uh, we, we often include it in the marriage ceremony. Uh, one time I, uh, I read that in a wedding ceremony, and uh, one of the groomsmen came up to me afterwards and said, hey, that was a really cool poem. Where'd you get it? And I said, well, it was from the Bible. And it's describing uh, the, the love that God intends to be the basis for marriage. But the interesting thing is, having made these wonderful statements about love, we need to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about God? The Bible says God is love. God is love. In fact, he's the only source of love in all the world. Now, If God is love, then I can reread 1 Corinthians 13 and say God hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. God's love never ends. Now that's the basis for the Christian life, an enduring love that persists despite my weakness, my failing. Sometimes I don't feel particularly pious. Sometimes I don't feel as devoted to God. Uh, Sometimes I do things that let him down, that I'm embarrassed about. But God continues to persist in his forgiving love. He continues to say, you're mine. I'm married to you forever. This is for keeps.
0: So the gospel really is about... A relationship about um, the good news is who God has made you to be in Christ, not good news about a potential bonus if you meet certain requirements.
1: That's right. It's 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 completed. Uh, Christ completed that work. He He said from the cross, "It is finished." And so we are offered a relationship based on what Christ has already done. Um, James Torrance uh, used to say, uh, faith is the dawning awareness that God in Christ has done it all. He's done it all. He's completed it. He's lived our life and died our death and risen in triumph. And I was there in him when he lived and died and rose again. And so it's it's a completed uh, gift. He offers me a relationship based on his completed work. And so my life in God is a relationship. Uh, it's, it's. Uh, I think it's very interesting that when you look, there's a, a typical pattern in the letters of Paul. Paul moves always from, uh, from, uh, uh, from grace in Christ to responsibilities in Christ. In the first half of his letters, talk about the wonderful things that God has done in Christ. So you have in Ephesians. Uh, we're, we're predestined in Christ. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's already all ours in Christ. It's ours. No one can ever take that inheritance from us. But then he moves on to saying, okay, husband, love your, love your wives. Uh, and bosses, watch out for your workers. Take care of your workers. And so there are responsibilities that flow from that, but I, I carry those out through my life in Christ. Not in order to get it, but because I have it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a here. He's always reminding us here's who you are in Christ, because you are a child of God, because you are in Christ, therefore act like it. Right. He never says, act this way, and then God will do such and such for you. It's always, here's who you are. So act like that. Behave like that. That's exactly right. And the behavior doesn't change or affect. Who you already are in Christ by what Christ has already done. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: And and you, you you look at a good parent, a good loving parent may have a child who who disappoints her, and at times does things that she really would not want her to do, it which bring great pain to her heart. But she says, "I still I still love him. He's still he's still my son." And and God is like that only far more so. God is the source of true, unconditional love that really does never end. sometimes a parent will finally, after repeated disappointments, give up and throw right. in the towel. but God never does. The Bible says nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. who is he that condemns Christ has already done it all
0: the parable of the prodigal son is of course a fantastic illustration of that that in the story the uh, the son has done you You can hardly think of worse things in that culture to do he's done he 's repudiated his father's fatherhood that's right he's uh, he
1: said i can't wait till you die. give me the money now i mean that 's pretty crass
0: and he and he's blown the inheritance yes. he's wasted everything right on 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 terrible living but the father never says you're not my son anymore, even though the kid says in effect when he prepares his little speech, he in effect is saying. I know I'm not your son anymore. Right. I just want to be one of the servants so I can get something to eat. Right. He's still selfishly looking out for an angle. He's not even repentant in that sense. He's looking for an angle. Father, I have sinned, but, but his, his take on that is, just let me be one of the servants so I can get a meal. And the father doesn't even listen to his speech. Right.
1: He says it's not about performance. It's not about what you can do because you can't do it.
0: It's about who you are. That's right. Because that's who you are.
1: This, my son, was lost and now he's found. This, my son, he's always been my boy. He's Mm -hmm. still my son. You're still my son. We're going to throw a party because it never was about your worthiness or your performance. Yeah. And we can picture him when he's off in the far country. Uh, breaking his father's heart every day by the way he's living. We can picture the father every day going out on the porch and scanning the horizon, seeing if that's the day his boy's coming home, because he's never stopped loving him, never stopped having a place for him in his heart.
0: And yet, all of us can identify with the older brother who says, this is the most unfair, dumb thing in the world. That's right. That's right. So it, that's we not can fair. hardly identify with with. With the younger son. That's right. That's because
1: we're far more aware of the sins and failings of those around us than we are of our own. Yeah. We're experts in the, fa- and the faults of those around us. And, and if I, we
0: are experts in our own, mm-hmm. we're so depressed we can't believe that something like that could be true. Right.
1: In both cases, whether we're looking at others or looking at ourselves, we should be looking at Christ. And, and that's the problem. That's the Which problem. Which is
0: why Christ told the parable.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so Jesus said, one day two people went to the temple to pray. And the one person prayed, Lord, I, I'm really cool. I thank you that I'm not like this wretched sinner over here. You know, I've always kept, your, I've always kept the rules. And the other, the other man said, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I have blown it. I have done terrible things. And, and Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have nothing to offer you. I just ask you for mercy. And Jesus Interpreted that story, he said that the the second man, not the first, went home right with God. it wasn't performance at all, it was receiving
0: mercy yeah Robert Capon talks about that in that parable in his book about parables yeah and he says the problem is that we love that parable, and we say, boy, that's beautiful, I, you know I like that, but what we don't want is for that forgiven admitted sinner to come back the following week with that same prayer. Right. We want him to come back with the other prayer that now says, "Yes, I've been doing all the right things."
1: Yeah. But we never graduate beyond our need for grace. We never stop needing God's mercy. We live our lives by his mercy and by his grace, by the life of Christ in us.
0: We we feel though guilty doing that, we feel like yeah. uh, because after all we wouldn't forgive someone and we don't forgive ourselves for doing no. the same thing over and over again that's over right over.
1: We, we yeah there there's finally a limit we've we've had it you know we that's the way we treat other people. we might be very understanding and very forgiving for for many many times but there comes a point where that line's crossed and we we give up uh but but it's interesting that jesus talks when when Jesus compares humans and God, he say if you being human know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven? So that God's love his, is far greater. It's much more than ours. So much more that it's totally unconditional. And and, and the Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are, are without repentance. He never takes them back.
0: But aren't we afraid to rest in that? In other words, we, we've sinned, we know it, we're full of guilt, shame, and doubt, and frustration, and anxiety, and and we are afraid to say, "This is already taken care of. I don't need to dwell on this and worry about it, and be. I I need to move on and and trust it and rest in the the grace and forgiveness of God and in my relationship with Him, which is separate from the consequences of what I might have done, mm-hmm. as far as. Having to, you know, reap what I have sown, in the sense of sin hurts. There are there are consequences, and
1: God doesn't always protect us from the consequences of our actions. If we drive drunk, we may well cause an accident. And that accident won't be reversed the minute that we're sorry. We, There's still those consequences, but God has forgiven us.
0: So there. So we have to learn that salvation is different from the natural consequences of our sins. We're going to experience those, but we don't need to fear right. that God has dumped us and, and given up on us and forsaken us and that our salvation is in jeopardy right. because of the sin. We keep that's where we we mix the two and
1: I think so. And I, I think we're forever projecting our human experience onto God and thinking that He's like people we know. Right. And 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 just as other people finally lose their temper, lose their patience, lose—and
0: especially me,
1: right? Especially myself, he must be like that. Uh, and, and we've also learned that that if if something sounds to be too good to be true, it probably is. Right. You know, beware of the Bernie Madoffs who promise you an enormous return on your money. Right. Uh, and so, if somebody comes along and says. God will love you no matter what. God's mercy is there for you no matter no matter what you have done or do. It is still there for you. We say, "Wait a minute now, you're just feeding me a line. It sounds astonishing. It's scandalous, uh, and and of course, Paul described the gospel as a scandal, a, a stumbling block. It was a, it was a scandal to both Jews and Greeks for different reasons. They uh, they the the gospel surprises us collides with our common sense understanding of things. And and, and too often, uh, we're far more aware of our failings than we are of the goodness of God, far more aware of our sins than we are of his mercy. And, and uh, so we need to look away from ourselves to Jesus. It, it's a remarkable fact. When you look at the time when Christ was arrested, and Judas and Peter, both in essence, committed the same sin. They both betrayed Jesus. Within hours of each other, one of them despaired and took his own life, and the other, Peter, returned to the Lord and received his mercy. Uh, there was no basis for Peter to be forgiven. It was blatant what he did. There was no—he didn't deserve another chance. He even swore, saying, "I've never, I've never met him. I've never known that man." When he was asked uh surely he was he was with that galilean but but Jesus loved him he never gave up on peter and he never gives up on you or me in this life
0: when something bad happens we often tend to think uh this is evidence that god has is punishing me for for my failure to measure up he's against me and uh mm-hmm. he's turned his face from me and and what hope do I have? Because uh, obviously I'm under his curse. And of course, yeah. sometimes that's exactly what someone at church tells you. Yeah. Uh, there is no causeless curse. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're
1: God's getting you. He's getting even right, with you here. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes we do have a, have that kind of a, a God who's a mean ogre with a big stick or something. And uh, and it, it's again because we're so focused on our own sin that we don't, we, uh, in our own failings as human beings, that we fail to look at God uh, through the eyes of Christ. We fail to look at him through Christ, and we, we substitute another God for the
0: God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do with the the bad things that happen to us? How do we cope with that in terms of who we are in Christ? I think that's a crucial question to ask, because
1: as Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation. Uh, Sometimes uh, we've been so interested to get people to accept Christianity or to come to Christ that we make promises that the gospel does not promise. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Come to Jesus and you'll never have a difficulty. He'll take care of everything. You'll never have a problem, never have an adversity, never have a sickness. Uh, But this is simply not true. Uh, Paul himself the the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. The author of most of the books of the New Testament um, said that he had a, a terrible experience, a painful experience. It was this jagged thorn in his flesh, and he kept praying to God, take it away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. And sometimes God says that to us. He says, yes, you've experienced brokenness. You're experiencing a terrible thing that's happening to you in your life, and you are asking God, "Just take it away from me." But uh, but God says that's not my plan. Uh, in 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 my own uh, life, uh, um, my late wife uh, Adrian uh, was battling cancer, and uh, she was a godly woman, a a, a humble Christ-centered person. And uh, when we found out she had cancer, we did everything we could. We we took her to the doctors. We tried medical treatment, but there was no treatment for her particular cancer. And we prayed, knowing that God had healed many people, uh, and that there there are uh, uh, verses in Scripture urging us to pray to God if we're sick and ask for healing. So we prayed uh, over and over again for healing. In the course of my wife's uh, illness, um, she had to have uh, surgery, seeking to remove that cancer. They had actually removed. Uh, her eye, one of her eyes, and uh, and the hope was that that would contain the cancer, but in fact it didn't. And uh, and later on, it was it was clear to the doctors that that uh, that there was no cure for her. And and one day when I was praying, uh, asking for healing, I I I I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard an inner voice that I believe was the Lord speaking to me, saying, uh, "Dan, you've asked for healing over and over again for her." He says, but you've never asked, what, what is my purpose in all of this? And I, I want you to know, I could heal her, and, uh, and I could uh, heal this cancer now, but she would continue to be sightless in one eye. She would continue to be less than whole in this life. Or I could heal her completely, and I'm going to heal her completely. Now, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. But God has a mercy that sometimes is a severe mercy. Sometimes it involves taking us through pain, through difficult experiences. But I think that God can deepen our love for him, deepen our compassion for others, and uh, and deepen our understanding of life when, when we walk through these painful experiences with Jesus, who, after all, uh, continues to have nail-scarred hands. It's very interesting that the humanity of Jesus not only means... Uh, that I'm included in Christ's life now, and that he represents me to the Father and all those good things. It also means he continues to bear our scarred humanity. And, and, and Jesus, who appears to the disciples after he rose again, still had scars in his hands. My Jesus has scars. And he tells Thomas, who doubted that Jesus had really risen again, um, behold the nail prints in my hands. In other words, you'll know me. By my scars. And so Jesus understands, God understands our pain, He understands our difficulties, He knows about our scars, and he walks through those scarring episodes of life with us, brings us comfort, brings us mercy, but doesn't always give us that detour that God doesn't guarantee us an untroubled passage from here to heaven, only a safe arrival.
0: You've been watching You're Included, a production of Grace Communion International.